This is Atolio Conversations. I'm Luke Alley. Dan Krantz is the CIO at Keysight Technologies, an S&P 500 company making equipment and software for testing electronics. I'll keep this intro brief because Dan does an excellent job talking about his background, but I will say that in this conversation about his approach to leadership and working with startups, we do manage to also talk about nuclear launch codes, 6G, what lies beyond being CIO, and more. And so with that, over to my conversation with Dan Krantz. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Happy to be here. So I want to start by asking you about your background and how you arrived at Keysight, which you've been at since it first spun out from Agilent Technologies. Is that right? So Keysight spun out from Agilent, which spun out from Hewlett Packard. But how did I get at Hewlett Packard? I mean, this is uh, this is the story of who I am. I grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico, which is the, the the site of the Manhattan Project, the invention of atomic weapons. Really unfortunate predicament. But I joined the National Laboratory as a software engineer in classified high performance computing, and that was at the end of the Cold War. And my mission was to digitize our nation's nuclear weapons codes. And what I learned at that point in time was that the difference technology can make in making our world a better place because the the challenge for us at that time the destruction of the soviet union and the threat of nuclear proliferation throughout those states and coming together as a as a world to stop nuclear proliferation using digital technologies high performance computing was a game changer for my career in terms of what you can do with technology to make the world a better place so after that time at the National Lab, I pivoted over to the private sector, which is Hewlett-Packard. And I was at the age of 3G cellular technology. We're talking about 5G today, right? But 3G was the first time we put data on our cell phones, those giant bricks you see in old 1990s movies. And I would join HP to work on, on that pursuit and spend three years trying to get uh, a solution set out. And eventually 70% of the world's cell phones were produced, designed, tested by HP equipment. And again, I could see technology was making a difference in the world. And so I stuck with HP, we became Agilent, Agilent became Keysight. And throughout that journey, my goal was to take the technology inside our company and make our company that much more successful. So the technical computing role that I did for 11 years was entirely focused on the R&D labs, all of our engineers and scientists in our company. After that 11-year run, I got a, a knock on the door from the CIO that said, you know, it'd be really good for your career if you do a role in, our, in IT, in our corporate functions, finance, HR, uh, logistics, and supply chain. And I thought, how boring, right? It's like the excitement of R&D and scientists and changing the world. And so I said, no, thanks. That was 2008. So then the CFO called me and said, uh, didn't you hear what your boss said, the CIO? Maybe you should really consider this role change. And so I thought, okay, if I got a CIO and a CFO saying I might want to consider this other opportunity, maybe I should listen. So that's the turning point. That's the pivot. Like, yeah, let me go ahead and take a run at doing some applications and some work in these corporate functions, which I thought would be kind of boring. It was anything but because what happened in 2008, we had, head into the Great Recession 
a massive uh, disruption in our economies. And I'm in charge of all the applications that are basically feeding the data and the insights to the CFO of the company and how to navigate through that. Um, and, and Luke, that's kind of where we just took off in terms of then rotating around to every parts of, of every part of the IT organization to kind of see the role that IT can play in every facet of the company, not just in the R&D labs, but now every part of it. Yeah, so I know that the first couple of years at Keysight, you held CISO responsibilities as well. So I wanted to ask how that now informs your perspective as a CIO. Yeah, it's uh, well, on one hand, it kind of freaks me out because now I know <laughs> just how dangerous the world is. Um, but th- that was one of those where I actually intentionally uh, you know, raised my hand as I was finishing you know, kind of the, the different rotations around the CIO staff in the Agilent days, the one area that I had really not gained much experience along that journey was in the cybersecurity space. And so as we spun out and became Keysight, um, it's a, a great chance to say, you know, we got a clean sheet of paper, who's going to do what? Said, hey, I'll, I'll give that cybersecurity thing a shot. Uh, you know, would you have me as the CISO? The answer was, sure, let's go for it. And, and so it's absolutely interesting to see a couple of things. One, to kind of look at just how much risk is out there and that we are confronting and, and, and started trying to quantify what that means and think that through across the entire, horizontally across the entire, not just IT landscape, but our entire technical landscape. Because typically CISOs are not just re- responsible for the, the core IT stack, it's even the other uh, intellectual property and uh, other technical environments that maybe, especially in tech companies, are, are highly prominent in R&D labs. So it gave me a real good horizontal view across the company around information and what it takes to protect it. And the second thing that it did really opened my eyes to how to communicate about it with the board um, and just realizing so much stuff they absolutely do not care about um, that I wanted to tell the story about all the nuts and bolts and the technical stuff and use all the hacker terminology just right over the heads does not matter, does not resonate. Um, and learning to be able to communicate in, in a way that makes sense to them about business risk that was the, probably the biggest learning for me as a CISO as to how to communicate with the non-technical crowd. Um, even though some of the board members absolutely in their careers, super technical as well. Um, but this cybersecurity stuff is just so different and the jargon that's thrown around and it changes a lot to then translate uh, to business risk and, and what we're doing about it was the, the key insight for me. Gotcha. So how does that inform the relationship that you have with your CISO now? Yeah, so the our current CISO works for me, so he's on my staff. And when I hired him, I went into it with a very different view, kind of rather than thinking about trying to recruit a cybersecurity technologist, I was looking for a team player, someone that could really rally the entire troops, not just within IT, but across the business, someone that could build coalitions and basically deputize everybody in the company to be a cyber warrior on the defense and so it completely changed what I was looking for, having done it and realizing it takes a village <laughs> to protect uh, the intellectual property. And so uh, when I hired Scott, I could see in him that he's the kind of guy that builds coalitions. Would you say that that's like a, a wider like rule of thumb when hiring a CISO is this idea of prioritizing coalition building over like hardcore subject matter expertise? I think there are circumstances where you you may need a disruptor 
in our situation, we're a very relationship-rich company. We get things done through relationship. And knowing that, that that's in our culture, number one. And number two, knowing that we already had very talented technologists in the cybersecurity team informed my opinion that a relational coalition builder uh, and a translator of techno-speak and techno-geek into business language, that's what I needed. And I would, I would bet that in most tech companies that, um, that that's probably what you want to you find. It may be different in the non-tech sectors where you may need your CISO and your other uh, leaders of uh, the CIO staff to be pretty hardcore technologists as well as business leaders. Um, in our case, I needed someone that could, could rely on, his, on the technical expertise because we have such breadth of technical expertise being a tech company. And it's, it's rallying all of that, that brain power that is, is the key to our success. So zooming out from these individual titles, do you have any thoughts on the broader role of IT, specifically at a tech company? Well, I don't have as much experience or exposure to what it's like to run the tech department in a non-tech company, but I do know what it's like in a tech company and and trying to have the IT team feel valued when in most tech companies, you live or die by innovation. And that comes out of your R&D labs and you innovate product, you innovate solutions out of your R&D teams. Those are where all the dollars go to make a difference and it makes perfect sense to me strategically because you may have a world-class IT platform, but if you're not bringing new technology products to market, what's the point? You'll go out of business. You need to perpetually innovate. That's why in Keysight, you know, we were working on 3G in the 90s, working on 4G in the, in the, in the, the 2000s. We've been working on 5G wireless t- uh, technology since 2013. We're the leaders in 5G, but guess what? We're already working on 6G terabit downloads, terabit per second downloads, which is unheard of. We can't even get, we're we're just working on gigabit download speeds on our phones for 5G, but we're already working on inventing 6G and we're working on quantum computing. These are super smart people. So my challenge in running IT in in a company surrounded by that is elevating IT's game to be on par with these brilliant people. And we're pivoting to having IT actually play a little bit of offense because Keysight does play in the IT industry. And so I'm considering IT as a lead generator, talking to CIOs and CISOs out there about the solutions that Keysight can help bring to them. To do that, I have to have a really strong IT technical team. And that's been part of our transformation the last couple of years is is really upping our our technology uh, bench strength in the IT organization to really keep pace with uh, the technologists we've got uh, in Keysight. You mentioned IT being a source of lead generation. Can you tell me more about that? In the past, Keysight had largely sold its um, hardware instruments, its products to electrical engineers and RF engineers um, in, in, our, in our customers. Um, over the last uh, three or four years, we've continued to do that and we've layered on top of those hardware products a suite of software portfolios and a suite of capabilities for uh, companies to do a lot of test and measurement of their application stack. That starts to cater to the IT departments of our customers. So when we used to call on the electrical engineers and RF engineers and those labs in our customers, now we're also calling on 
the CIOs. And so we have capabilities that we now offer in the marketplace that IT organizations would be interested in, network visibility, software test capabilities. And so it's now me reaching out to my peers and saying, we use this. It's Keysight on Keysight. We're the first customer of this capability. It was a game changer for how we run IT. You know, do you want to hear our case study? I'm not on quota. I don't get any commission. It's just me talking to my peers about what's worked well for us. It's it's one of the things that as CIOs that I, I, I love doing is kind of swapping stories about some of the technology we've been playing with. What's worked for you? What blew up in your face and didn't work so good? And now I just have some of our own portfolio of solutions to talk about uh, that we are we're playing with as well. And so that's what I mean by lead generation is because if I find a partner of mine, a CIO that says, wow, that's really interesting. Tell me more. I can then bring in the, the general manager of that product line and say, hey, I've got a friend. The CIO is interested in learning more about what you guys are doing and, and basically hand it off to them to see if there's any value to, to continue the, the, the exploration there. Speaking of those peer-to-peer relationships, we had a great conversation with Yusuf Khan who talked about how valuable those can be in a lot of different ways. It's a, it's a lifesaver because, uh, and so I, jo- I joined a group um, called CCI that's, uh, and there's a group uh, from predominantly from the Bay Area um, since we're headquartered in Santa Rosa, California. Um, so there's, there's peers of mine from Bay Area companies and uh, and so we meet once a month um, and, and at least once a quarter for a little bit longer period of time. The CIO role can be a lonely role in your company. Um, companies where there's a single CIO, some companies are a little bit more federated. You may have a CIO for each division, um, but a lot of us, uh, there's one. And so who do you go to for ideas and commiseration and uh, advice? And so this particular community, when we get together, we start off with just a free form roundtable um, and just, hey, what do you, what's going on for you? What's the, th- you know, what's the problem of the day that you want to share with the group? And then the rest chimes in with, hey, I've got an idea. You should try this. Here's, here's a suggestion. It could be things like, hey, we just found out that we're being acquired. How do I navigate this? Because typically there's only one CIO and um, I'm getting acquired. What's the, you know, so my, my time may be, may be limited or um, I'm concerned about my own people and, and ensuring they all land in a good spot in the, within the acquired company. What's the advice you guys have for me? How, has anyone been through this before? Someone might raise their hand and say, yeah, I just went through that a couple of years ago. Here's, what, here's how I navigated through it. Here's some, here's some things that I wish I had done. Um, and, and you just can't get that um, on your own. You got you to gotta join a, a community. I find also that in the CISO community, it's also equally important. Uh, CISO roles can be very lonely as well. And it's almost like the predator and, uh, and prey um, uh, analogy when you, when you see the wildlife uh, you know, documentaries. And it's the one animal that didn't stay in the pack. They got, you know, wandered off. That's the one that got picked off. So I've always encouraged CISOs to stay in the pack Keep, keep with each other and, and strengthen your defenses together as a collective unit against the, the threat actors that are out there. Um, that's probably the best defense. Another topic I wanted to be able to talk to you about is your work with startups. How did you start leveraging them? So when we became Keysight in 2015, um, I wasn't the CIO then, so the first couple of years of Keysight, I was the CISO. And 
this is kind of an interesting role. I actually I had a split personality and I ran our customer facing applications. So I was trying to do both at the same time for those first couple of years. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to play to the extreme of I'm a CISO worried about risk on the application side. Let me just go extreme on the risk. And rather than go with the tried and true big application vendors out there, let's start to take a look since we're in the Silicon Valley area. Are there some startups that actually have applications capabilities that as a new 85-year-old company, because uh, we're new, but we've had the HP heritage, could we experiment with, uh, with a few things? We took one of our first experiments was with uh, the, uh, an application to do financial close and consolidation of all things. Something you probably don't want to take a risk on. But when we had been partnering with a large uh, uh, entrenched uh, partner that had one of the top tier application companies, finding it just so complex to work with them. And then along comes a small company that has maybe 30 customers still in startup mode, has pretty good capabilities, but was very open to saying, but let us know what you need to be successful. And they would listen. And they would have their development teams do a, a couple of sprints. And a few weeks later, we got some code and some new capability. Like, wow, I've kind of got almost my own, my own R&D team you know, to kind of create custom software because we're a fairly large multinational company. If, if they can meet our requirements, they can market it. And, and they know that they're going to win more customers. So it's a win-win. We get somewhat tailored feature sets that we need that they turn around and market and they'll make money off of with additional customers. And I thought that's a magic formula. So then we thought, well, let's take a look at analytics. Um, Another space where there's some great, interesting uh, Bay Area startup activity, different approach to how you do analytics as opposed to the traditional uh, business intelligence. And so we partnered with another company who again said, well, tell us what you need. And and we'll go develop that. And latest example was just some months ago. This is a company named Incorda that we're working with. And we really wanted some features on the user interface. And this is more of a back-end you know, game-changer technology, not designed to be the usability and visualization layer. But we wanted some of that anyway. And so they reluctantly, in talking with the CEO of the company, all right, we'll have some of our developers work on the UI. Then that came out. We were happy. We, now we're using it. And they called us up just last week and said, "Some of it's just taken off. Our customers are loving this new feature set. So we're so glad we listened to you. You know, even though you twisted our arms, um, it's it's been awesome. So it's an example of we've got some really unique features in this in this solution because we've been partnering with them and they've been bringing it to us. And then then they're turning around and getting more customers and clients on board because of the work they're doing with us. So I think it's it's been a great partnership. You know, the and the startups." that I think find some companies like us to partner with are going to be the most successful because now they're going to get real world input, tailoring their solution to fix real world problems right then and there, and it'll take off. And I have to tell you one thing on, on doing that, the key ability to do that partnership with startups was a change in our operating model. So as it, when I became the CIO, we were largely an outsourced operation, 80% outsourced. 
And when you have your when you're outsourced, you go to your large managed service providers and you'd say, we're going to work with our analytics is going to be this unheard of unknown company, um, our financial closing consolidation, another unheard of unknown company. And we're going to start to do some of our web development and again, uh, completely startup technology stack. None of the managed service providers out there have that qualified in their offerings. So you can't stay in a, in a large outsourced model. So we had to pivot to strategic insourcing and having our own technologists, our own software engineers, our own network engineers, our own data scientists, and do some of our own work with our own staff. Not that they would actually code up the product, but that they could then be the applied technologists for what these startups are creating. So if anyone is interested in like doing, taking this approach of working with, with startups, make sure you've got the right skill set in your own team and your own internal staff to be able to, to, to make that work. I think that's the key. It's great to hear that you're so deliberate about those relationships. So last question, what is the best question I haven't asked you? <laughs> well, that's a really good question in and of itself. Um, well, the question that I'm asking, because I'm, I'm only going into my fourth year as a CIO, so three plus years into it, and I'm not anywhere close to, to retirement. <laughs> so the question of the day for me is, what's the career path once you're at, at the CIO level? Where do you go from there? Do you rotate and become, you just kind of say, all right, I'll leave my company behind and I'll just go be CIO of the day and kind of go several companies at a time, two, three years here and there and finish out your career as, as a string of CIO positions in different companies? Is that the, the journey? Or do you just you CIO and then you, you ride that into the sunset, you know, for the next 10 years uh, with the with your same company? Or does the CIO then start over time, take on additional business roles? So that's the question I'm now asking is, well, what is the career path for a CIO? I have a call with, with a former CIO Broadcom, uh, Andy Nalapan. And Andy, as the CIO, what, what what was a Vago and is now Broadcom, but he's now taken on a new role as the CTO and the head of software operations. So he took the CIO role and he's taken on a broader uh, executive leadership role for the company. This question I'm going to be asking him is, how did you cross that divide? Because there's a lot of tech companies look at a CIO as the business systems person. You're in charge of the business systems. And so stay in your corner kind of thing. That can be where you get pigeonholed. And there are CIOs that have broken through and take on broader business roles in their companies. And I'm really curious to learn a little bit more about how people do that successfully and what that's like. So that's a question that you could ask me that I don't have the answer to yet because it's something I'm starting to look into. Yeah, I get the sense that that topic is on the mind of a number of CIOs. Yeah, you know, because it's what we do as CIOs is like a general manager. You know, we've got clients. It's our stakeholders in the company that we work with. We've got this horizontal view across almost every, I, I can't think of a single department in the company that doesn't work with IT. And you'd think that's a lot of expertise that you develop over time. And so I wonder what CIOs are doing with that expertise in a very creative way and kind of taking their value add and their contributions to the next level. And I imagine that a lot of that has been pretty heavily accelerated by the pandemic as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, like even in Keysight, the thing I, I really appreciated is there was a lot of, of, of appreciation from the executive team for 
the role that IT played to help the company pivot to, to remote work um, and to collaborate globally um, and continue to keep the innovation engine running because we're, as a tech company, got to keep that innovation humming. Um, so a lot of appreciation that came in that maybe um, they knew in the back of their minds that IT played that role, but it just was brought to the forefront of everyone's minds just how, how critical IT can be for companies. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Great questions. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks again to Dan Krantz for the conversation and to Tom Tierney for the music. Please make sure to subscribe to Atolio Conversations wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back in two weeks.